chapter nine of the life of washington volume two by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine measures to cut off the communication between the british army and fleet battle of germantown measures to intercept supplies to philadelphia attack on fort mifflin on red bank the augusta blows up fort mifflin evacuated fort mercer evacuated the british opened the communication with their fleet washington urged to attack philadelphia general howe marches out to chestnut hill returns to philadelphia general washington goes into winter quarters seventeen seventy seven september measures taken to prevent a communication between the british army in philadelphia and their fleet philadelphia being lost general washington sought to make its occupation inconvenient and insecure by rendering it inaccessible to the british fleet with this design works had been erected on a low marshy island in the delaware near the junction of the scutchel which from the nature of its soil was called mud island on the opposite shore of jersey at a place called red bank a fort had also been constructed which was defended with heavy artillery in the deep channel between or under cover of these batteries several ranges of frames had been sunk to which from their resemblance to that machine the name of chevaux de frise had been given these frames were so strong and heavy as to be destructive of any ship which might strike against them and were sunk in such a depth of water as rendered it equally difficult to weigh them or cut them through no attempt to raise them or to open the channel in any manner could be successful until the command of the shores on both sides should be obtained other ranges of these machines had been sunk about three miles lower down the river and some considerable works were in progress at billingsport on the jersey side which were in such forwardness as to be provided with artillery these works and machines were farther supported by several galleys mounting heavy cannon together with two floating batteries a number of armed vessels and some fire-ships the present relative situation of the armies gave a decisive importance to these works cutting off the communication of general howe with his fleet they prevented his receiving supplies by water while the american vessels in the river above fort mifflin the name given to the fort on mud island rendered it difficult to forage in jersey general washington hoped to render his supplies on the side of pennsylvania so precarious as to compel him to evacuate philadelphia the advantages of this situation were considerably diminished by the capture of the delaware frigate september twenty seventh the day after lord cornwallis entered philadelphia three batteries were commenced for the purpose of acting against any american ships which might appear before the town while yet incomplete they were attacked by two frigates assisted by several galleys and gondolas the delaware being left by the tide while engaged with the battery grounded and was captured soon after which the smaller frigate and the other vessels retired under the guns of the fort this circumstance was the more interesting as it gave the british general the command of the ferry and consequently free access to jersey and enabled him to intercept the communication between the forts below and trenton from which place the garrisons were to have drawn their military stores september twenty eighth all the expected reinforcements except the state regiment and militia from virginia being arrived 
and the detached parties being called in the effective strength of the army amounted to eight thousand continental troops and three thousand militia with this force general washington determined to approach the enemy and seize the first favorable moment to attack him september thirty in pursuance of this determination the army took a position on the skip pack road about twenty miles from philadelphia and sixteen from germantown a long village stretching on both sides the great road leading northward from philadelphia which forms one continued street nearly two miles in length the british line of encampment crossed this village at right angles near the centre and lord cornwallis with four regiments of grenadiers occupied philadelphia september twenty nine the immediate object of general howe being the removal of the obstructions in the river colonel sterling with two regiments had been detached to take possession of the fort at billingsport which he accomplished without opposition this service being effected and the works facing the water destroyed colonel sterling was directed to escort a convoy of provisions from chester to philadelphia october three some apprehensions being entertained for the safety of this convoy another regiment was detached from germantown with directions to join colonel sterling this division of the british force appeared to washington to furnish a fair opportunity to engage sir william howe with advantage determining to avail himself of it he formed a plan for surprising the camp at germantown and attacking both wings in front and rear at the same instant the divisions of sullivan and wayne flanked by conway's brigade were to march down the main road and entering the town by the way of chestnut hill to attack the left wing while general armstrong with the pennsylvania militia was to move down the manatani road by vandering's mill and turn the left flank to attack in the rear the commander-in-chief accompanied this column the divisions of green and stephen flanked by mcdougall's brigade were to take a circuit by the lime kiln road and entering the town at the market-house to attack the right wing the militia of maryland and jersey under general smallwood and foreman were to march down the old york road and turning the right to fall upon its rear the division of lord sterling and the brigades of nash and maxwell were to form a corps de reserve parties of cavalry were silently to scour the roads to prevent observation and to keep up the communication between the heads of the several columns october four royal army attacked at germantown the necessary arrangements being made the army moved from its ground at seven in the afternoon before sunrise the next morning the advance of the column led by sullivan encountered and drove in a picket placed at mount airy the house of mr allen the main body followed close in the rear and engaging the light infantry and the fortieth regiment posted at the head of the village soon forced them to give way leaving their baggage behind them though closely pursued lieutenant colonel musgrave threw himself with five companies of the fortieth regiment into a large stone house belonging to mr chu which stood directly in the way of wayne's division and poured on the americans an incessant and galling fire of musketry from its doors and windows after making some unsuccessful and bloody attempts to carry this house by storm and then battering it for a few minutes with field artillery which was found too light to make any impression on its walls a regiment was left to observe the party within it while the troops who had been checked by colonel musgrave again moved forward passing to the left of the house in rather more than half an hour after sullivan had been engaged the left wing 
having formed the line came also into action and attacking the light infantry posted in front of the british right wing soon drove it from its ground while rapidly pursuing the flying enemy woodford's brigade which was on the right of this wing was arrested by a heavy fire from chew's house directed against its right flank the inefficiency of musketry against troops thus sheltered being instantly perceived the brigade was drawn off to the left by its commanding officer and the field pieces attached to it were ordered up to play on the house but were too light to be of service some time was consumed in this operation and the advance of the brigade was of course retarded this part of the line was consequently broken and the two brigades composing the division of stephen were not only separated from each other but from the other division which was led by general green in person that division consisting of the brigades of muhlenberg and scott pressing forward with eagerness encountered and broke a part of the british right wing entered the village and made a considerable number of prisoners thus far the prospect was flattering the attack had been made with great spirit several brigades had entered the town and such an impression had been made on the british army as to justify the expectation that its wings might be separated from each other and a complete victory be obtained had the american troops possessed the advantages given by experience had every division of the army performed with precision the part allotted to it there is yet reason to believe that the hopes inspired by this favourable commencement would not have been disappointed but the face of the country and the darkness of the morning produced by a fog of uncommon density co-operating with the want of discipline in the army and the derangements of the corps from the incidents at chew's house blasted their flattering appearances and defeated the enterprise the grounds over which the british were pursued abounded with small and strong enclosures which frequently broke the line of the advancing army the two divisions of the right wing had been separated at chew's house and immediately after their passing it the right of the left wing was stopped at the same place so as to cause a division of that wing also the darkness of the morning rendered it difficult to distinguish objects even at an inconsiderable distance and it was impossible for the commander-in-chief to learn the situation of the whole or to correct the confusion which was commencing the divisions and brigades separated at chew's house could not be reunited and even among those parts which remained entire a considerable degree of disorder was soon introduced by the impediments to their advance some regiments pursuing with more vivacity than others they were separated from each other their weight lessened and their effect impaired the darkness which obstructed the reunion of the broken parts of the american army also prevented their discerning the real situation of the enemy so as to improve the first impression and in some instances some corps being in advance of others produced uncertainty whether the troops seen indistinctly were friends or foes the attacks on the flanks and rear which formed a part of the original plan do not appear ever to have been made the pennsylvania militia came in view of the chasseurs who flanked the left of the british line but did not engage them closely the maryland and jersey militia just showed themselves on the right flank about the time green was commencing a retreat the americans repulsed these embarrassments gave the british time to recover from the consternation into which they had been thrown general kniphausen who commanded their left detached two brigades to meet the right of sullivan 
which had penetrated far into the village before his left which had been detained at chu's house could rejoin him and the action became warm in this quarter the british right also recovered from its surprise and advanced on that part of green's division which had entered the town after a sharp engagement these two brigades began to retreat and those which were most in advance were surrounded and compelled to surrender about the same time the right wing also began to retreat it is understood that they had expended their ammunition every effort to stop this retrograde movement proved ineffectual the division of wayne fell back on that of stephen and was for an instant mistaken for the enemy general confusion prevailed and the confidence felt in the beginning of the action was lost with infinite chagrin general washington was compelled to relinquish his hopes of victory and turn his attention to the security of his army the enemy not being sufficiently recovered to endanger his rear the retreat was made without loss under cover of the division of stephen which has scarcely been in the engagement in this battle about two hundred americans were killed near three times that number wounded and about four hundred were made prisoners among the killed was general nash of north carolina and among the prisoners was colonel matthews of virginia whose regiment had penetrated into the centre of the town the loss of the british as stated in the official return of general howe did not much exceed five hundred in killed and wounded of whom less than one hundred were killed among the latter were brigadier general agnew and colonel byrd the american army retreated the same day about twenty miles to perkiami creek where a small reinforcement consisting of fifteen hundred militia and the state regiment was received from virginia after which it again advanced towards philadelphia and encamped once more on skipback creek the plan of the battle of germantown must be admitted to have been judiciously formed and in its commencement to have been happily conducted but a strict adherence to it by those who were entrusted with the execution of its several parts was indispensable to its success major-general stephen who commanded the right division of the left wing was cashiered for misconduct on the retreat and for intoxication congress expressed in decided terms their approbation both of the plan of this enterprise and of the courage with which it was executed for which their thanks were given to the general and the army the attention of both armies was most principally directed to the forts below philadelphia the loss of the delaware frigate and of billingsport greatly discouraged the seamen by whom the galleys and floating batteries were manned believing the fate of america to be decided an opinion strengthened by the intelligence received from their connections in philadelphia they manifested the most alarming defection and several officers as well as sailors deserted to the enemy this desponding temper was checked by the battle of germantown and by throwing a garrison of continental troops into the fort at red bank called fort mercer the defence of which had been entrusted to militia this fort commanded the channel between the jersey shore and mud island and the american vessels were secure under its guns the militia of jersey were relied on to reinforce its garrison and also to form a corps of observation which might harass the rear of any detachment investing the place measures taken by general washington for cutting off supplies from philadelphia to increase the inconvenience of general howe's situation by intercepting his supplies six hundred militia commanded by general potter crossed the scutchel with orders to scour the country between that river and chester and the militia on the delaware above philadelphia were directed to watch the roads in that vicinity 
the more effectually to stop those who were seduced by the hope of gold and silver to supply the enemy at this critical time congress passed a resolution subjecting to martial law and to death all who should furnish them with provisions or certain other enumerated articles who should be taken within thirty miles of any city town or place in jersey pennsylvania or delaware occupied by british troops these arrangements being made to cut off supplies from the country general washington reoccupied the ground from which he had marched to fight the battle of germantown attack upon fort mifflin meanwhile general howe was actively preparing to attack fort mifflin from the pennsylvania shore he erected some batteries at the mouth of the scutchel in order to command webb's ferry which were attacked by commodore hazelwood and silenced but the following night a detachment crossed over webb's ferry into province island and constructed a slight work opposite fort mifflin within two musket shots of the blockhouse from which they were enabled to throw shot and shells into the barracks when daylight discovered this work three galleys and a floating battery were ordered to attack it and the garrison surrendered while the boats were bringing off the prisoners a large column of british troops were seen marching into the fortress upon which the attack on it was renewed but without success and two attempts made by lieutenant-colonel smith to storm it failed in a few nights works were completed on the high ground of province island which enfiladed the principal battery of fort mifflin and rendered it necessary to throw up some cover on the platform to protect the men who worked the guns the aides expected from the jersey militia were not received assure yourself said lieutenant-colonel smith in a letter pressing earnestly for a reinforcement of continental troops that no dependence is to be put on the militia whatever men your excellency determines on sending no time is to be lost the garrison of fort mifflin was now reduced to one hundred and fifty-six effectives and that of red bank did not much exceed two hundred in consequence of these representations colonel angel of rhode island with his regiment was ordered to red bank and lieutenant-colonel john green of virginia with about two hundred men to fort mifflin immediately after the battle of brandywine admiral howe sailed for the delaware where he expected to arrive in time to meet and cooperate with the army in and about philadelphia but the winds were so unfavorable and the navigation of the bay of delaware so difficult that his van did not get into the river until the fourth of october the ships of war and transports which followed came up from the sixth to the eighth and anchored from newcastle to reedy island the frigates in advance of the fleet had not yet succeeded in their endeavors to effect a passage through the lower double row of chevaux de frise though no longer protected by the fort at billingsport they were defended by the water force above and the work was found more difficult than had been expected it was not until the middle of october that the impediments were so far removed as to afford a narrow and intricate passage through them in the meantime the fire from the pennsylvania shore had not produced all the effect expected from it and it was perceived that greater exertions would be necessary for the reduction of the works than could safely be made in the present relative situation of the armies under this impression general howe soon after the return of the american army to its former camp on the skip pack withdrew his troops from germantown into philadelphia as preparatory to a combined attack by land and water on forts mercer and mifflin after effecting a passage through the works sunk in the river at billingsport other difficulties still remained to be encountered by the ships of war several rows of chevaux de frise had been sunk about half a mile below mud island which were protected by the guns of the forts as well as by the movable water force 
to silence these works therefore was a necessary preliminary to the removal of these obstructions in the channel october attack upon red bank on the twenty first of october a detachment of hessians amounting to twelve hundred men commanded by colonel count de Knopp, crossed the delaware at philadelphia with orders to storm the fort at red bank the fortifications consisted of extensive outer works within which was an entrenchment eight or nine feet high boarded and phrased late in the evening of the twenty second count de Knopp appeared before the fort and attacked it with great intrepidity it was defended with equal resolution the outer works being too extensive to be manned by the troops in the fort were used only to gall the assailants while advancing on their near approach the garrison retired within the inner entrenchment whence they poured upon the hessians a heavy and destructive fire colonel de Knopp killed and his party repulsed with considerable loss colonel de Knopp received a mortal wound and lieutenant-colonel mengerode the second-in-command fell about the same time lieutenant-colonel mincing the oldest remaining officer drew off his troops and returned next day to philadelphia the loss of the assailants was estimated by the americans at four hundred men the garrison was reinforced from fort mifflin and aided by the galleys which flanked the hessians in their advance and retreat the american loss in killed and wounded amounted to only thirty-two men the augusta frigate blows up the ships having been ordered to cooperate with count de Knopp, the augusta with four smaller vessels passed the lower line of chevaux de frise opposite to billingsport and lay above it waiting until the assault should be made on the fort the flood tide setting in about the time the attack commenced they moved with it up the river the obstructions sunk in the delaware had in some degree changed its channel in consequence of which the augusta and the merlin grounded a considerable distance below the second line of chevaux de frise and a strong wind from the north so checked the rising of the tide that these vessels could not be floated by the flood their situation however was not discerned that evening as the frigates which were able to approach the fort and the batteries from the pennsylvania shore kept up an incessant fire on the garrison till night put an end to the cannonade early next morning it was recommenced in the hope that under its cover the augusta and the merlin might be got off the americans on discovering their situation sent four fire ships against them but without effect meanwhile a warm cannonade took place on both sides in the course of which the augusta took fire and it was found impracticable to extinguish the flames most of the men were taken out the frigates withdrawn and the merlin set on fire after which the augusta blew up and a few of the crew were lost in her this repulse inspired congress with flattering hopes for the permanent defence of the posts on the delaware that body expressed its high sense of the merits of colonel green of rhode island who had commanded in fort mercer of lieutenant colonel smith of maryland who had commanded in fort mifflin and of commodore hazelwood who commanded the galleys and presented a sword to each of these officers as a mark of estimation in which their services were held the situation of these forts was far from justifying this confidence of their being defensible that on mud island had been unskilfully constructed and required at least eight hundred men fully to man the lines the island is about half a mile long fort mifflin was placed at the lower end having its principal fortifications in front for the purpose of repelling ships coming up the river the defences in the rear consisted only of a ditch and palisade protected by two blockhouses the upper story of one of which had been destroyed in the late cannonade above the fort were two batteries opposing those constructed by the british on province and carpenters islands which were separated from mud island only by a narrow passage between four and five hundred yards wide 
the vessels of war engaged in the defence of the delaware were partly in the service of the continent and partly in that of the state of pennsylvania under a commodore who received his commission from the state a misunderstanding took place between him and lieutenant colonel smith and also between him and the officers of the continental navy and it required all the authority of the commander-in-chief to prevent these differences from essentially injuring the service the garrison at fort mifflin consisted of only three hundred continental troops who were worn down with fatigue and constant watching under the constant apprehension of being attacked from province island from philadelphia and from the ships below october twenty nine having failed in every attempt to draw the militia of jersey to the delaware general washington determined to strengthen the garrison by farther drafts from his army three hundred pennsylvania militia were detached to be divided between the two forts and a few days afterwards general varnum was ordered with his brigade to take a position about woodbury near red bank and to relieve and reinforce the garrisons of both forts as far as his strength would permit the hope was entertained that the appearance of so respectable a continental force might encourage the militia to assemble in greater numbers aware of the advantage to result from a victory over the british army while separated from the fleet general washington had been uniformly determined to risk much to gain one he had therefore after the battle of germantown continued to watch assiduously for an opportunity to attack his enemy once more to advantage the circumspect caution of general howe afforded none after the repulse at red bank his measures were slow but certain and were calculated to ensure the possession of the forts without exposing his troops to the hazard of an assault in this state of things intelligence was received of a successful termination of the northern campaign in consequence of which great part of the troops who had been employed against burgoyne might be drawn to the aid of the army in pennsylvania but it was feared that before these reinforcements could arrive sir william howe would gain possession of the forts and remove the obstructions to the navigation of the delaware this apprehension furnished a strong motive for vigorous attempts to relieve fort mifflin but the relative force of the armies the difficulty of acting offensively against philadelphia and above all the reflection that a defeat might disable him from meeting his enemy in the field even after the arrival of the troops expected from the north determined general washington not to hazard a second attack under existing circumstances to expedite the reinforcements for which he waited colonel hamilton was dispatched to general gates with directions to represent to him the condition of the armies in pennsylvania and to urge him if he contemplated no other service of more importance immediately to send the regiments of massachusetts and new hampshire to aid the army of the middle department these orders were not peremptory because it was possible that some other object as the capture of new york still more interesting than the expulsion of general howe from philadelphia might be contemplated by gates and washington meant not to interfere with the accomplishment of such object on reaching general putnam colonel hamilton found that a considerable part of the northern army had joined that officer but that gates had detained four brigades at albany for an expedition intended to be made in the winter against ticonderoga having made such arrangements with putnam as he supposed was secure the immediate march of a large body of continental troops from that station colonel hamilton proceeded to albany for the purpose of remonstrating to general gates against retaining so large and valuable a part of the army unemployed at a time when the most imminent danger threatened the vitals of the country gates was by no means disposed to part with his troops he could not believe that an expedition then preparing at new york was designed to reinforce general howe and insisted that 
should the troops then embarked at that place instead of proceeding to the delaware make a sudden movement up the hudson it would be in their power should albany be left defenceless to destroy the valuable arsenal which had been there erected and the military stores captured with burgoyne which had been chiefly deposited in that town having after repeated remonstrances obtained an order directing three brigades to the delaware hamilton hastened back to putnam and found the troops which had been ordered to join general washington still at peekskill the detachment from new york had suggested to putnam the possibility of taking that place and he does not appear to have made very great exertions to divest himself of a force he deemed necessary for an object the accomplishment of which would give so much splendor to his military character in addition to this circumstance an opinion had gained ground among the soldiers that their share of service for the campaign had been performed and that it was time for them to go into winter quarters great discontents too prevailed concerning their pay which the government had permitted to be more than six months in arrear and in poor's brigade a mutiny broke out in the course of which a soldier who was run through the body by his captain before he expired shot the captain dead who gave the wound colonel hamilton came in time to borrow money from the governor of new york to put the troops in motion and they proceeded by brigades to the delaware but these several delays retarded their arrival until the contest for the forts on that river was terminated november the preparations of sir william howe being completed a large battery on province island of twenty-four and thirty-two pounders and two howitzers of eight inches each opened early in the morning of the tenth of november upon fort mifflin at the distance of five hundred yards and kept up an incessant fire for several successive days the blockhouses were reduced to a heap of ruins the palisades were beaten down and most of the guns dismounted and otherwise disabled the barracks were battered in every part so that the troops could not remain in them they were under the necessity of working and watching the whole night to repair the damages of the day and to guard against a storm of which they were in perpetual apprehension if in the day a few moments were allowed for repose it was taken on the wet earth which in consequence of heavy rains had become a soft mud the garrison was relieved by general varnum every forty-eight hours but his brigade was so weak that half the men were constantly on duty colonel smith was decidedly of opinion and general varnum concurred with him that the garrison could not repel an assault and ought to be withdrawn but general washington still cherished the hope that the place might be maintained until he should be reinforced from the northern army believing that an assault would not be attempted until the work were battered down he recommended that the whole night should be employed in making repairs his orders were that the place should be defended to the last extremity and never were orders more faithfully executed november eleventh several of the garrison were killed and among them captain treat a gallant officer who commanded the artillery colonel smith received a contusion on his hip and an arm which compelled him to give up the command and retire to red bank major fleury a french officer of distinguished merit who served as engineer reported to the commander-in-chief that although the blockhouses were beaten down all the guns in them except two disabled and several breaches made in the walls the place was still defensible but the garrison was so unequal to the numbers required by the extent of the lines and was so dispirited by watching fatigue and constant exposure to the cold rains which were almost incessant that he dreaded the event of an attempt to carry the place by storm fourteenth fresh troops were ordered to their relief from varnum's brigade and the command was taken first by colonel russell and afterwards by major thayer the artillery commanded by captain lee continued to be well served the besiegers were several times thrown into confusion and a floating battery which opened on the morning of the fourteenth was silenced in the course of the day 
fifteenth the defence being unexpectedly obstinate the assailants brought up their ships as far as the obstructions in the river permitted and added their fire to that of the batteries which was the more fatal as the cover for the troops had been greatly impaired the brave garrison however still maintained their ground with unshaken firmness in the midst of this stubborn conflict the vigilant and a sloop of war were brought up the inner channel between mud and province islands which had unobserved by the besieged been deepened by the current in consequence of the obstructions in the main channel and taking a station within one hundred yards of the works not only kept up a destructive cannonade but threw hand-grenades into them while the musketeers from the round top of the vigilant killed every man that appeared on the platform major thayer applied to the commodore to remove these vessels and he ordered six galleys on the service but after reconnoitring their situation the galleys returned without attempting anything their report was that these ships were so covered by the batteries on province island as to be unassailable fort mifflin evacuated and possession taken by the british november sixteenth it was now apparent to all that the fort could be no longer defended the works were in ruins the position of the vigilant rendered any further continuance on the island a prodigal and useless waste of human life and on the sixteenth about eleven at night the garrison was withdrawn a second attempt was made to drive the vessels from their stations with a determination should it succeed to repossess the island but the galleys effected nothing and a detachment from province island soon occupied the ground which had been abandoned november seventeenth the day after receiving intelligence of the evacuation of fort mifflin general washington deputed general de and knox to confer with general varnum and the officers at fort mercer on the practicability of continuing to defend the obstructions in the channel to report thereon and to state the force which would be necessary for that purpose their report was in favor of continuing the defense a council of the navy officers had already been called by the commodore in pursuance of a request of the commander-in-chief made before the evacuation had taken place who were unanimously of opinion that it would be impracticable for the fleet after the loss of the island to maintain its station or to assist in preventing the chevaux de frise from being weighed by the ships of the enemy general howe had now completed a line of defence from the stuchel to the delaware and a reinforcement from new york had arrived at chester these two circumstances enabled him to form an army in the jersey sufficient for the reduction of fort mercer without weakening himself so much in philadelphia as to put his lines in hazard still deeming it of the utmost importance to open the navigation of the delaware completely he detached lord cornwallis about one in the morning of the seventeenth with a strong body of troops to chester from that place his lordship crossed over to billingsport where he was joined by the reinforcement from new york november seventeenth general washington received immediate intelligence of the march of this detachment which he communicated to general varnum with orders that fort mercer should be defended to the last extremity with a view to military operations in that quarter he ordered one division of the army to cross the river at burlington and dispatched expresses to the northern troops who were marching on by brigades directing them to move down the delaware on its northern side until they should receive farther orders fort mercer evacuated major-general green an officer who had been distinguished early in the war by the commander-in-chief for the solidity of his judgment and his military talents was selected for this expedition a hope was entertained that he would be able not only to protect fort mercer but to obtain some decisive advantage over lord cornwallis 
as the situation of the fort which his lordship could not invest without placing himself between timber and manteau creeks would expose the assailants to great peril from a respectable force in their rear but before green could cross the delaware lord cornwallis approached with an army rendered more powerful than had been expected by the injunction of a reinforcement from new york and fort mercer was evacuated a few of the smaller galleys escaped up the river and the others were burnt by their crews washington still hoped to recover much of what had been lost a victory would restore the jersey shore and this object was deemed so important that general green's instructions indicated the expectation that he would be in a condition to fight lord cornwallis that judicious officer feared the reproach of avoiding an action less than the just censure of sacrificing the real interests of his country by engaging the enemy on disadvantageous terms the numbers of the british exceeded his even counting his militia as regulars and he determined to wait for glover's brigade which was marching from the north before its arrival lord cornwallis took post on gloucester point a point of land making deep into the delaware which was entirely under cover of the guns of the ships from which place he was embarking his baggage and the provisions he had collected for philadelphia believing that lord cornwallis would immediately follow the magazines he had collected and that the purpose of sir william howe was with his united forces to attack the american army while divided general washington ordered green to recross the delaware and join the army the enemy succeeds in opening a free communication with his fleet thus after one continued struggle of more than six weeks in which the continental troops displayed great military virtues the army in philadelphia secured itself in the possession of that city by opening a free communication with the fleet while lord cornwallis was in jersey and general green on the delaware above him the reinforcements from the north being received washington urged to attack attack philadelphia an attack on philadelphia was strongly pressed by several officers high in rank and was in some measure urged by that torrent of public opinion which if not resisted by a very firm mind overwhelms the judgment and by controlling measures not well comprehended may frequently produce especially in military transactions the most disastrous effects it was stated to the commander-in-chief that his army was now in greater force than he could expect it to be at any future time that being joined by the troops who had conquered burgoyne his own reputation the reputation of his army the opinion of congress and of the nation required some decisive blow on his part that the rapid depreciation of the paper currency by which the resources for carrying on the war were dried up rendered indispensable some grand effort to bring it to a speedy termination the plan proposed was that general green should embark two thousand men at dunksbury and descending the delaware in the night land in the town just before day attack the enemy in the rear and take possession of the bridge over the scutchel that a strong corps should march down on the west side of that river occupy the heights enfilading the works of the enemy and open a brisk cannonade upon them while a detachment from it should march down to the bridge and attack in front at the same instant that the party descending the river should commence its assault on the rear not only the commander-in-chief but some of his best officers those who could not be impelled by the clamours of the ill-informed to ruin the public interests were opposed to this mad enterprise the two armies they said were now nearly equal in point of numbers and the detachment under lord cornwallis could not be supposed to have so weakened sir william howe as to compensate for the advantages of his position his right was covered by the delaware his left by the scutchel his rear by the junction of those two rivers as well as by the city of philadelphia and his front by a line of redoubts extending from river to river and connected by an abatis and by 
circular works it would be indispensably necessary to carry all these redoubts since to leave a part of them to play on the rear of the columns while engaged in front with the enemy in philadelphia would be extremely hazardous supposing the redoubts carried and the british army driven into the town yet all military men were agreed on the great peril of storming a town the streets would be defended by an artillery greatly superior to that of the americans which would attack in front while the brick houses would be lined with musketeers whose first must thin the ranks of the assailants a part of the plan on the successful execution of which the whole depended was that the british rear should be surprised by the corps descending the delaware this would require the concurrence of too many favorable circumstances to be calculated on with any confidence as the position of general green was known it could not be supposed that sir william howe would be inattentive to him it was probable that not even his embarkation would be made unnoticed but it was presuming a degree of negligence which ought not to be assumed to suppose that he could descend the river to philadelphia undiscovered so soon as his movements should be observed the whole plan would be comprehended since it would never be conjectured that general green was to attack singly if the attack in front should fail which was not even improbable the total loss of the two thousand men in the rear must follow and general howe would maintain his superiority through the winter the situation of america did not require these desperate measures the british general would be compelled to risk a battle on equal terms or to manifest a conscious inferiority to the american army the depreciation of paper money was the inevitable consequence of immense emissions without corresponding taxes it was by removing the cause not by sacrificing the army that this evil was to be corrected washington possessed too much discernment to be dazzled by the false brilliant presented by those who urged the necessity of storming philadelphia in order to throw lustre round his own fame and that of his army and too much firmness of temper too much virtue and real patriotism to be diverted from a purpose believed to be right by the clamours of faction or the discontents of ignorance disregarding the importunities of mistaken friends the malignant insinuations of enemies and the expectations of the ill-informed he persevered in his resolution to make no attempt on philadelphia he saved his army and was able to keep the field in the face of his enemy while the clamour of the moment wasted in air and is forgotten the opinion that sir william howe meditated an attack on the american camp was not ill-founded scarcely had lord cornwallis returned to philadelphia and green to the american army when unquestionable intelligence was received that the british general was preparing to march out in full strength and with the avowed object of forcing washington from his position and driving him beyond the mountains general howe marches out to chestnut hill on the fourth of december captain mclean a vigilant officer on the lines discovered that an attempt to surprise the american camp at white marsh was about to be made and communicated the information to the commander-in-chief in the evening of the same day general howe marched out of philadelphia with his whole force and about eleven at night mclean who had been detached with one hundred chosen men attacked the british van at the three-mile run on the germantown road and compelled their front division to change its line of march he hovered on the front and flank of the advancing army galling them severely until three next morning when the british encamped on chestnut hill in front of the american right and distant from it about three miles a slight skirmish had also taken place between the pennsylvania militia under general irvine and the advanced light parties of the enemy in which the general was wounded and the militia without much of the loss were dispersed the range of hills on which the british were posted approached nearer to those occupied by the americans as they stretched northward having passed the day in reconnoitring the right sir william howe changed his ground in the course of the night and moving along the hills to his right 
took an advantageous position about a mile in front of the american left the next day he inclined still farther to his right and in doing so approached still nearer to the left wing of the american army supposing a general engagement to be approaching washington detached gist with some maryland militia and morgan with his rifle corps to attack the flanking and advanced parties of the enemy a sharp action ensued in which major morse of jersey a brave officer in morgan's regiment was mortally wounded and twenty-seven of his men were killed and wounded a small loss was also sustained in the militia the parties first attacked were driven in but the enemy reinforcing in numbers and washington unwilling to move from the heights and engage on the ground which was the scene of the skirmish declining to reinforce gist and morgan they in turn were compelled to retreat returns to philadelphia sir william howe continued to manoeuvre towards the flank and in front of the left wing of the american army expecting to be attacked in that quarter in full force washington made such changes in the disposition of his troops as the occasion required and the day was consumed in these movements in the course of it the american chief rode through every brigade of his army delivering in person his orders respecting the manner of receiving the enemy exhorting his troops to rely principally on the bayonet and encouraging them by the steady firmness of his countenance as well as by his words to a vigorous performance of their duty the dispositions of the evening indicated an intention to attack him the ensuing morning but in the afternoon of the eighth the british suddenly filed off from their right which extended beyond the american left and retreated to philadelphia the parties detached to harass their rear could not overtake it the loss of the british in this expedition as stated in the official letter of general howe rather exceeded one hundred in killed wounded and missing and was sustained principally in the skirmish of the seventh in which major morris fell on no former occasion had the two armies met uncovered by works with superior numbers on the side of the americans the effective force of the british was then stated at twelve thousand men it has been since declared by an author who then belonged to it but who though a candid writer appears to have imbibed prejudices against sir william howe to have amounted to fourteen thousand the american army consisted precisely twelve thousand one hundred and sixty one continental troops and three thousand two hundred and forty one militia this equality in point of numbers rendered it a prudent precaution to maintain a superiority of position as the two armies occupied heights fronting each other neither could attack without giving to its adversary some advantage in the ground and this was an advantage which neither seemed willing to relinquish the return of sir william howe to philadelphia without bringing on an action after marching out with the avowed intention of fighting is the best testimony of the respect which he felt for the talents of his adversary and the courage of the troops he was to encounter the cold was now becoming so intense that it was impossible for an army neither well clothed nor sufficiently supplied with blankets longer to keep the field in tents it had become necessary to place the troops in winter quarters but in the existing state of things the choice of winter quarters was a subject for serious reflection it was impossible to place them in villages without uncovering the country or exposing them to the hazard of being beaten in detachment to avoid these calamities it was determined to take a strong position in the neighbourhood of philadelphia equally distant from the delaware above and below that city and there to construct huts in the form of a regular encampment which might cover the army during the winter a strong piece of ground at valley forge on the west side of the schuylkill between twenty and thirty miles from philadelphia was selected for that purpose and some time before day on the morning of the eleventh of december the army marched to take possession of it by an accidental concurrence of circumstances lord cornwallis had been detached the same morning at the head of a strong corps on a foraging party on the west side of the schuylkill he had fallen in with a brigade of pennsylvania militia commanded by general potter 
which he soon dispersed and pursuing the fugitives had gained the heights opposite matron's ford over which the americans had thrown a bridge for the purpose of crossing the river and had posted troops to command the defile called the gulf just as the front division of the american army reached the bank of the river this movement had been made without any knowledge of the intention of general washington to change his position or any design of contesting the passage of the scutchel but the troops had been posted in the manner already mentioned for the sole purpose of covering the foraging party washington apprehended from his first intelligence that general howe had taken the field in full force he therefore recalled the troops already on the west side and moved rather higher up the river for the purpose of understanding the real situation force and designs of the enemy the next day lord cornwallis returned to philadelphia and in the course of the night the american army crossed the river general washington goes into winter quarters here the commander-in-chief communicated to his army in general orders the manner in which he intended to dispose of them during the winter he expressed in strong terms his approbation of their conduct presented them with an encouraging state of the future prospects of their country exhorted them to bear with continuing fortitude the hardships inseparable from the position they were about to take and endeavoured to convince their judgments that those hardships were not imposed on them by unfeeling caprice but were necessary for the good of their country the winter had set in with great severity and the sufferings of the army were extreme in a few days however these sufferings were considerably diminished by the erection of logged huts filled up with mortar which after being dried formed comfortable habitations and gave content to men long unused to the conveniences of life the order of a regular encampment was observed and the only appearance of winter quarters was the substitution of huts for tents End of chapter nine